I've preached out of this passage many times, but it's usually the first part of John. Um, but today, I just want to hit verses 27 through 31. And I want us to stay on that for a little bit and just kind of hear what God has to say to us. Um, and I think Tom, I told him verse 27, but I later on just felt like, hey, I'm going to read all of it. So if he's just got 27, y'all just, you know, follow along with me or you've got your Bibles, that'd be great. Um, tomorrow is the anniversary of my dad's death. And, uh, and I thought about even planning this message. I, I, I want to always be cautious. Any message that I preach, it's about God and his greatness and who he is. So I'll say a little bit about what's going on in my life only to come back to the place of who God is and what God's done. Um, five years ago, it was a Sunday night. That was the last, last time uh, we saw him. We, he took me and, and Sarah and, and her mom to uh, Academy Sports and bought um, Sarah a bunch of softball equipment, got her a new bat for the season, got her a glove, and just kind of set her up for success because she was his home run hitter and he wanted her to get out there on the field and have some new stuff, you know. And, and so we went and did that that Sunday night. Um, we ate at Yogurt Mountain and then we came back and we had met at Chick-fil-A parking lot, got in the cars and he went his way to his house and uh, we went hours to hours. And then Monday morning, I had some things. I had a dryer broken down in my house and I I worked on it because that was my normal off day, and I thought I might try to go out and see him, but I, I didn't make it to do that. I called him that night. He didn't answer. Well, eight months prior to that, um, my mom had passed away. She had ovarian cancer, and so she was she had left and gone home to be with the Lord. And he was lonely. We spent a lot of time with him, but of course we couldn't we couldn't replace my mother. And uh, I don't think at the time I realized that. I mean, I desperately wanted to be there for him called him every day, called him, you know, every night. Um, and we really didn't have that kind of relationship initially, you know, where we talked every day. But three years of fighting ovarian cancer with your mom and, and, uh, and you know, in those times where my dad was sick in between all that, it, it turned into that where we talked multiple times a day, if nothing but to just say, hey, how, how are you? Of course, I got tired of hearing that, so you'd find other reasons to talk just to figure out how they were, but that's kind of where we were. So that Monday night, or yeah, that Monday night, I called to tell him good night, and I didn't get an answer. It's pretty unusual for him. So Tuesday morning, I called, and I didn't get an answer. So I was in church staff meeting. We did church staff meeting, and I thought, man, I need to go out there. So I drove um, to the house, and when I got there, I just saw a few things that didn't look right um and my dad was kind of old school he was kind of guy that if for whatever reason he wouldn't give his son a key to the house but um my mom she had snuck me a key when she was sick because she's like your dad ain't gonna do this but here i want you to have this key so i had that key so so i went ahead and i broke in the house and you know we're a gun-toting family so uh <laughs> you know i made my presence known because i didn't i you know i didn't want to get shot and so uh so, so yeah, I know, right? So I just let him know that, uh, you know, hey, I'm in here. So I'm walking through the house, and and it's just uh, the dog didn't meet me at the door. I thought, that's strange. Well, I got to the kitchen, and I could look down uh, from the kitchen to the dining room, and then there's a living room the way our house is, and I, and I saw his legs. He was 
he was sitting in a chair. So I could just see you sitting in this in a chair. It was kind of unusual. It wasn't the chair that he normally sat in. But I just, I saw his legs sitting out there, and I was like, Dad? You know, and that dad turned into, hey, Dad? You know, a little bit louder and, you know, nothing. He's just sitting in that chair. So, you know, I mean, just as you hear me tell the story, you know, I mean, I know already. And so, so I walk in the room, and his little dog is sitting right beside him, out, right outside the door, I guess, where that morning he had let him out to do his little business. And, but he's sitting faithful kind of right there beside him. My dad was just sitting in that chair, you know. And um, if you live in Morris, Alabama, just forget 911 because that doesn't uh, really matter to us um, because there's no really anybody assigned to us out here. Figured that out on that day. Called 911 and, um, you know, about 45 minutes later, I hear the sirens. But that, that 45 minutes of just sitting there alone with my dad, you know, as he sat in that chair, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a hard 45 minutes. Um, and, you know, just thinking about life and how, you know, I can, I can think about that relationship. You know, I can think about uh, um, those moments where my dad would take me out and hunt. And uh, he'd wake me and my brother up early in the morning. I hated that. You know, it's like I'm not an early riser. You know, he'd wake me up at 3 a.m. What in the world? No, all the deers are asleep, Dad. We don't need to be doing this. You know, but he'd, he'd carry me out there and we'd go. Now we've got deer in my backyard, but back then we had to go somewhere to go deer hunt. I can go off my deck and shoot one now, but um, I don't, but I can. Uh, but if we'd do that, you know, get out in the woods and teach us how to, how to, you know, hunt. He'd carry us to the river. We'd go to Gunnersville. We'd do a lot of fishing and stuff like that. And those moments, you know, those times that we just shared together, you know, growing up, um, you know, just how special they were. And so you're sitting there and you're seeing your dad that you think the world of. You know, my dad, I didn't get his genes. He was six foot four. Uh, they, that when he was younger, they called him Wolfman Jack. And some people called him Bigfoot because he had a big foot and he was like really tall and just, he's just a big guy. But I've watched age shrink him a little bit. I've watched age turn him gray. I've watched age. You know, he had lost a little bit of step, but he was always quick to tell me, son, I can still take you out of this world. You know, that was, that was my dad, you know, meant everything to me. So all I could do is go over to him and touch him on the shoulder and tell him I love him, kiss him on the head, um, which he'd tell me that was stupid. <laughs> Why are you doing that? But, uh, you know, that's just, that was what happened in that moment. I look at this passage right here. And um, this is pretty much what Jesus is talking to his disciples about. I'm leaving you. And what you're going to see is going to be pretty terrible. I'm going to die. I haven't done anything to deserve to die. I mean, all I've done is for the last three years, you've seen me take a little girl that was dead and raise her to life. A woman with an issue of blood... We stopped that bleeding and her body was whole and healed. You saw me touch blind men and they could see the lame men and, and they could walk. The paralytic would be lowered down into a household and he was able to run out with his mat in hand. 
But for whatever reason, humanity wants me dead. It's at work. But do not be mistaken. It's part of my Father's plan. You're going to grieve over me. Matter of fact, in, in John, the first part of it, and I'll quote it, but in John chapter 1 it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't, we don't know where you're going and we don't know the way. And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And then one of his last statements, and that's what I want us to read together this morning in John chapter 14, starting with verse 27, it says this. I'm leaving you a gift Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you, I'm going away. But I will come back to you again. If you really love me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father, who is greater than I am. I've told you these things before they happen, so when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more time to talk with you. Because the ruler of this world approaches, he has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me, so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. So verse 27, the first thing Jesus says, hey, I'm leaving you a gift. Now, if you've ever had a loved one die, there's not much more precious of a thing you have in your life than that last thing they gave you. Or some sort of gift along the way that just meant a lot to you. April 27th, there was a tornado that came through the Pleasant Grove community. Um, one of my friends, his entire family... Uh, his house was completely gone. The only thing left was the back deck of his house. For months, I saw this man, and I helped him a few times. Go, I saw him go to that location where his house was and look for a pen that his grandfather had given him. Now, out of all the things that he had lost, that was the one thing that he still had of his granddad. And if he, he was just desperate. He just wanted that gift. Jesus, right here in this passage, says, I am leaving you with a gift. Here's the gift. Peace of mind and heart. I'm leaving you peace. I'm leaving you peace of mind and of heart. I'm giving it to you as a gift. Now, I, I see that and I go, well, what, what does that mean for me? What Jesus is saying in this world, in this life, there's going to be troubles. In this life, there's going to be heartache. In this life, there's going to be despair. This life, because of the curse, unfortunately, there is sickness. Because of the curse, unfortunately, there is death. There are times that are just not easy, right? There are moments that we just, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can get up and face that today. I don't know if I can do this, but we just do it. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave you a gift. 
and it's peace of mind and of heart. I mean, we see in the circumstance what he's talking about, but that gift belongs to all of us. He has given us the gift of peace. Hear that this morning. He has given you the gift of peace. Now, I I love getting gifts, but that is the most awkward thing for me in the world. You give me a gift, and I don't know how to respond. You know, I don't, am I supposed to like, woo, yeah, you know, hallelujah, or act quiet or look like a savior? I don't know how to handle a gift. But when I think about this gift God's given me, man, I want to tear it up, open it up, or not tear up the gift, but open the wrapping paper or open up the gift and pull that out and apply it to my life. I, I don't want to keep it in the box. I don't want to go, mm, you know, I got it, but man, I sure do like this misery that I'm walking around in. Oh, I got that gift, but man, I sure do like, you know, just fretting and worrying and, and just getting caught up in this trial that I have. No, Jesus said, I've given you a gift. And this gift is going to sustain you. It's going to hold you together because you're going to see things that are difficult to see. Do you think that speaks to me and you today? Is there anybody in this room that, man, you've seen some hard things in your life? Difficult moments? Isn't it nice to know that the peace of mind is yours? The peace of mind of God is yours. He doesn't stop with that. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift, the peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. The peace that I give is a gift the world just simply cannot. I think Satan hears that statement, and and rest assured, Satan knows the Scripture. He knows it. We see that because when he tempted Jesus, (laughs) Satan was using the Bible. It's like, hey, what about about that verse? If you do that, I mean, right? I mean, if you just... Stub your foot against a stone. Angels are going to come down. He's quoting scripture. Well, he sees this in mind in your life. And he says, hey, Jesus says, I'm going to give you a gift. But it's not as the world gives. So Satan, throughout the existence of humanity, has been presenting us with gifts. Gifts that we go, well, yeah, yeah, that that can sustain me. Oh, yeah, that, that feels good. Oh, yeah, that, that'll hold me together. And all of us, we ha- we've all received those gifts, and I'm sure all of us in this room at some point in time have opened those things up hoping that was going to be the thing that did it for me. But Jesus says, hey, I give you the gift, peace of mind and heart, and the world just simply can't give it to you. What are some of the gifts that the world gives? I think... It gives us the false security that somehow our knowledge, our knowledge, or the knowledge of humanity is greater than that of God's. Somehow that we can come up with a different set of rules to live by that will sustain us, that will hold us together. That somehow, well, you know, some of this book is okay, but some of it not so much. I, th- I think in our institutions, you know, college campuses, I'll never forget going to college. I had a teacher ask me to write a paper on who's your hero. I wrote a paper about Jesus being my hero. And she's like, no, I, I need somebody that's not fictional. I need a, like a real, you know, real person. 
made me feel like an idiot for even considering that as, as someone that I could write about. And there's, there's no telling how many people have experienced that, but somehow we come to this place where we're, we're holding on, and, and there's nothing wrong with pursuing knowledge. As a matter of fact, I, I regret, I regret that I didn't read more because I think we need to understand. We need to, to read and grasp things and pursue things. But at the end of the day, let all knowledge be that, be, let it be bathed and marinated in the knowledge of who God is and what God has done. Another thing that we hold on to, the world holds on to, is if, if I just attain this, this position or this title or this wealth, if I just have enough money in my checking account, if I have enough money in my retirement, if I have these things, that will give me peace. But we can look at this world that we live in and we see people that have the money. They have the prestige. They have all the things that you'd think you would ever want. And yet they find themselves lonely in a room at 3 o'clock in the morning, overdosing on drugs, killing themselves, or just running and chasing after something more and more. It's empty. Another thing that we, the world gives us is relationships, if I've got the right person in my life, if I've got the right group of people in my life, if I've got all these things, then I'm going to be all right. But I look at God's gift, and I think we can just kind of turn that around or invert that, like knowledge, God's knowledge. That's what he's offering. When he says, hey, I give you peace, not that the world gives, I'm going to give you knowledge, and it's going to be my knowledge, his knowledge. The Proverbs 1.1 1, 1 says, The beginning of all knowledge is the fear of the Lord, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The greatest knowledge that you and I can have is first understanding who God is and what God's about. I don't know how God does all that He does, and I don't know how He's so intimately involved in all of our lives, but the truth is He is. He knows you by name, as we said earlier. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows it all. He knows you. So his, his peace comes from his knowledge, his wisdom, his wealth. I mean, the scripture tells us that he owns it all. One of the gifts my dad, and I told you the last day my dad was, um, that we saw him, you know, he took to buy Sarah all that softball equipment. One of the gifts he gave me just a couple of years prior to that when I was going through cancer myself is a Bible. So this Bible's gotten kind of beat up, so I, I just kind of hold it in a little special place. But I brought it here today. It's camouflage because he wanted his son to fight the fight, you know, and to not to give up and to, I guess, be a warrior, you know. But he wrote in the front of this Bible. So did my little girl. But he wrote these words. He says, Billy Smith, I love you, son, and I'm very proud of you. I love you, your dad. Then he wrote a passage of scripture, Romans 8, 15 through 17. I'll read that to you. It says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. 
For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. You know, the world promises, 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 if we'll do this or that, that we will attain peace. And there's nothing wrong with working hard and achieving things in our life. Goodness knows how good that feels. And I think God set us up that way. And I heard somebody say it like this. You know, sometimes when we work and we do things in life, we should work and do things as if we're doing it on our own, but know that God is, God is the one that's ordained it all. He's the one that is moving and working in our lives. In other words, I can't do anything without God. But I just got to work hard and try to achieve. And I'm not saying that quote right, so maybe we should mark that off. But I, I want us to understand this morning that, that God has called us to trust Him and lean into Him. And this passage right here, it says that we are heirs to the Father. In other words, I've been adopted. adopted. I've been grafted in. I bear His name. I'm a child, and anything that is His is mine. And I get to call Him Abba, Father. How powerful. It's not now, it's not just, hey, He's God Almighty, but now He is Abba, Father. He's my Heavenly Father. And so that wealth, the world has a lot to offer, but at the end of the day, it's empty, and it's gone. But what God has to offer is is eternal. What the world has to offer is temporary. But what God has to offer is everlasting. And the last thing is relationships. I can, I can have many relationships in my life, and I, and I hold a lot of relationships dear to my heart. But there is no greater relationship than the one that I have with the Father. Hebrews 13.5 says this, that He will never leave us nor forsake us, that He is always there. I've let people down. I mean, I've, I've let family members down. I've messed up. I've gone the wrong way. But thankfully, God has never, never left any of us. He is there. This gift that we're talking about this morning is His peace. I mean, what did Jesus say there? He says, I'm leaving you with a gift, a peace of mind and heart. He's saying, I'm giving you my peace. Think about the peace of God. When Jesus saw the storm, did that storm bring fear to him? He spoke to it and said, peace, be still. Jesus was able to walk all the way up to the cross to that hill. He, he walked the Via Della Rosa for you and me. He took that cross and he took it all the way to Golgotha. He did that because of the peace of God that was in him. Jesus was pursuing God by doing God's will. Jesus was always running after God. That's the kind of peace that you and I have. That's the t- type of peace this morning that's available to us all. But rest assured, there is an enemy. 
In verse 30 of the passage that I started out with, it says, I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but he's at work. He's at work. He's making an effort to destroy God's plan. He's making an effort to end God's will. He's making an effort to end the purpose God has for me. And in this world, rest assured, my friends, there is an enemy every single day that is at work trying his best to end God's will for your life. And that's why Jesus said, I give you a gift, peace of mind and heart. That even though what you might be seeing, I'm at work. And what you're seeing might be different than what is, but I'm at work. I'm there for you. There is an enemy that he desires to destroy us. But in verse 31, it says this. Jesus says, but I will do what the Father requires of me. I love that. You know, I'll say this, that peace does come with a price. And there it is. We can't expect to have peace if we're out of the will of God. Can I say that this morning? I mean, you can't run around and live your life like you want to live it and expect for you to have peace. That's what I call hell on earth. It is just misery if you're a child of God. It is just, oh, man, it just eats away at you, plagues you. It just, it just tears you up. I've been there. Now, I'm not saying God won't love you in those circumstances. I'm just saying you're not going to have peace. But I love it what Jesus says here, and I love the confidence in which he says it. But I will do what the Father requires of me. Now, Jesus was all human and all God at the same time. So while the all God part knows exactly what's about to take place, and the all human part says, oh, man, I, I don't want to do this. And we see that in the Garden of Eden. He's praying so desperately, he's, like, he's praying drops of blood. He's saying, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. If, there, if there's another way, I'll take it. Do we got an option B here? But he says, not my will, but your will be done. Not the will of this humanity that I'm in right now, but your will, Father God. Peace comes at a price. Jesus says, but I will do what the Father requires of me. If God's got a call on your life, I don't know what that looks like, brother and sister. I don't know what that call might be, but I know this. You and I better be pursuing it. Or there's no peace. If God has led you in a direction to do certain things and you're not doing it, my friend, you need to be doing it. Or there's no peace. 
You are not here as a leaf that has fallen off a tree branch, just blowing where the wind tells you to blow. But no, you were created with a purpose and a plan to do a specific task. You see that all just woven through Scripture. We look at 1 Corinthians 12 where it says we're the body of Christ. That every member has, has a task. Every member has a purpose. We see that in the passage that I quoted earlier ago, Jeremiah 29. You know, where weird, God has a plan for us. And it's a perfect plan. But it's not just so we just drop out of the sky. Now I'm here and I'm going to just go where I want to go. But no, it's getting connected with God and every morning saying, Okay, God, today, how do you want to use me? Today, what is that purpose and plan? And you may not achieve that until the end of your days, but that's fine. You just need to be walking with Him every day. Because as long as you're walking with Him, He's going to achieve His purpose and plan in your life. He's going to do what it is He's called you to do. And man, great things are going to happen. And that peace that the world cannot give you is with you. And it resides in you. I wrote this. I saw this. It says, Christ leaves us with the power to hold the wildest fear in pause. To still clamor or to hush a cry. That's the peace God's given us. When everything is swirling around you, you, because of the peace God has given you, can speak to that and say, be silent. I don't hear it. Because my God, He is a firm foundation. He is a rock. He is a shelter in the storm. I don't hear it. And you can calm those moments and those situations. What is it that God's called you to do? For these 12 men that he's speaking to at the moment, he's called for a certain task, a specific task. And he's saying, I'm telling you, I want you to be about it. You're going to see things that are going to break your heart. They're going to break your spirit. They're going to send fear into your life and you're going to want to go running back to your boats. You're going to go want to run back to, you know, what was comfortable. But I've called you to do something. And I'm afraid sometimes that's what we do in our life. We want the peace of God, but yet we, we try to get the peace of this world. We run to those things that are comfortable to us because maybe that's what my dad did. Or maybe that's, that's what I've always been a part of. But God's saying, hey, you want true peace? You run after me. You look at this passage and, and, and you think, from the moment he called these men to follow him, it just says, hey, Simon, come, follow me. He called them by name and they began to just walk this journey with them. And as they walked with him, they, they saw these amazing things. But there's peace in walking that journey with a father. You can't, you can't beat that. There's nothing greater than that. Matter of fact, Jesus says, the world, it cannot give it to you. So a couple of things to leave with today. 
If you've been asking yourself, why do I not have any peace? Maybe the question should be, God, what have you called me to do? And begin to just follow him. To seek his face. You can't go wrong in trusting God with your life. Because he's the one that authored it. And I'm telling you right now, God's a good, kind father. He's there for you. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.